You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, dear friends, throughout his life, Jesus was the subject of criticism. Although he was sinless, he was accused of sin by association. He eats with sinners. Though he kept the law perfectly, he was accused by being, of being a lawbreaker. Look, he heals on the Sabbath. He led a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. He always spoke the truth. He never lied. And throughout his life, he was criticized, accused, and judged. And of course, none of the accusations were true. There was no evidence for any of them. None of them could be verified in any way. In fact, the more we read the Gospels and read about the words and life of Jesus, it becomes more and more apparent that the accusations that were brought against him were brought by people who were jealous or angry or just unbelievers. And in many cases, the accusations that were brought against Jesus were just plain silly. Here in the Gospel of Luke, in our text this morning, the Gospel which you heard read just a few moments ago, I think we find one of the most ridiculous charges that was ever brought against Jesus. He is accused of casting out a demon with the assistance of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. The story in Luke reveals, I think, as much as any other in the New Testament, how incredibly hard-hearted was the unbelief of those who in Jesus' day sought to bring about his destruction. This was not the first time Jesus had cast out a demon. In the Gospel of Luke alone, we find five previous occasions where he has cast out demons. In addition to which, we're also told in Luke's Gospel that he gave to his disciples the authority to cast out demons. And now come his critics and say, it is with the assistance of Beelzebul, the prince of demons himself, that he does this. Was that actually the best they could come up with? Imagine for yourself there's a football game between the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots. And on every single play, whether it's a pass play or a running play, the Denver Broncos score a touchdown. Not every single series of plays, every single play that they have the ball. And somebody says, you know, it's pretty obvious to me that the Patriots are telling them what to do. Well, that might be obvious to you if you know for a fact that the Patriots are actually trying to lose the game. Otherwise, it makes no sense at all. Or imagine for a moment that 
Al-Qaeda contacts the American military and says, we are going to be in this place at this time. We'll wait for you here so that you can come and destroy us. How likely is that to happen? It's ridiculous. And Jesus, with a simple argument, points out how silly such situations are and how silly the argument against him is. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And with this elementary explanation, Jesus refutes the the absurd notion that he is destroying Satan's kingdom with Satan's help. And did you notice another technique that his critics used to try to discredit what he had done? Give us a sign, they said. Now that is really lame give you a sign. I've just cast out a demon. What do you want? But Jesus is not content simply to demonstrate how nonsensical the charges against him were. He actually goes on then to tell them what this casting out of a demon is all about. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and he divides his spoils. In effect, what Jesus is saying is this. You have seen me casting out demons and you don't know how I do it. You suggest the silly explanation that I'm doing it with the assistance of the prince of demons. Let me tell you how I do this. Satan is a strong man. He's like a strong man guarding his house. But I am stronger. And with your own eyes, you have just seen that I am destroying his kingdom. I am the stronger man, destroying the kingdom of Satan. I am bringing the kingdom of God to you, and I am the king. Satan is the strong man, but I am the stronger man. How comforting this message should be to us Christians. So often we feel ourselves tempted to do wrong. We're tempted to give up in the face of various different trials that come our way. The devil, the world, and the flesh cause us all sorts of difficulties, and we fail to obey God. We set aside his commands. We feel then when we've done these things and we we recognize the wrong we've done that God would be right if he would consume us with his anger. That's the way we feel. St. Peter tells us in one of his epistles, Be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we are afraid of this lion. He seems so strong against us. He is the strong man, Jesus says. 
But there is one who is stronger. And he is our Lord. And he has promised to protect us. See him cast out the demons. Hear him say in the very next chapter, Do not fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Already in the book of Genesis, we read about the coming Savior who will defeat the strong man. We're told that one day a stronger man would come. This strong man was indeed strong. He brought sin and death into the world, brought it upon all people. But right after God curses Adam and Eve, he places a curse upon Satan, which is also a precious promise of grace and victory for all who trust in the one who would come one day to defeat this strong man. And then he comes. The stronger man comes. And in Jesus' day, those who believed in him could see his heel coming down on the head of the serpent. They could see the promise to Adam and Eve coming true when God said to them that one day a Savior would come, a descendant of the woman. And he said to Satan, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And Jesus came. And he casts out the demons. And they see the stronger man crushing the head of the strong man with his heel. And the day would come soon when he would crush Satan entirely. For he would go to the cross and die, and he would rise again from death. And when that happened, every accusation which Satan could ever bring against you and me were canceled. All of them. For on that cross, Jesus washed away every sin that you have ever committed and ever will commit. He bore our sins, every one of them on the cross, and he died for them so that you and I could be free of guilt and of blame forever. And so Satan's head was crushed. He was a strong man, but the stronger man had come and he rescued you and me. And now those of us who trust in Jesus have been delivered from the kingdom of Satan and we have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And that's why Jesus can say, do not fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But it's true, isn't it? That we're afraid not just of Satan, We're afraid also of what this world can do to us. It's not just Satan who tempts us. This wonderful world, which has so many good things in it to thank God for, this wonderful world also sets before us enticements and attractions and seductions which we know could lead us away from the will of God and away from God 
himself. We're afraid that we might give into these enticements and be lost. But Jesus comforts us. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But he goes right on to say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He overcomes Satan and he overcomes the world. And he promises us that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. God doesn't accuse you of anything anymore. Your sins have been completely canceled in his sight. And so Jesus says, do not fear, little flock. You may live in a sinful, difficult world, but it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we continue to protest. It's so difficult for us, so difficult to believe this gracious message. You hear it every Sunday. Your sins are forgiven. And during the week, you do something wrong, you think in wrong ways, and you're not so sure. Your own sinful self undermines this faith and encourages you to believe that it can't be true. It's not just Satan. It's not just the world. It's our own self through our thoughts, our words, and deeds that cause us to protest against the grace of God. I try to resist temptations. I try to do what God wants. But so often I fail. I am so weak. Yes, you are. And it's precisely because you are so weak that you should come to him who is strong. And he invites you to do just that. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does your conscience accuse you? Does your heart tell you that you've done wrong and that you ought to be punished for what you've done? Jesus wants to comfort you. And he says to you through his disciple, John, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Yes, he is. And he instructs our hearts to be silent in the face of his complete and full pardon for all the wrongs that we have ever done. Full and free forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. And so Jesus, the stronger man, defeats the devil, defeats the world, defeats our sinful flesh in order that we might believe his promise when he says to us, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who is it that condemns you? What is it that frightens you? Jesus wants you to know that he is there for you, to be with you, to comfort you, to forgive you, and to strengthen you. That's his promise. But there is more to our text. I'm sure you noticed that. There is also a warning that Jesus puts in front of us today. It's a twofold warning in the text. And the first part of it is a picture of the harvest. 
He says, who, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. The point is this. When it comes to your relationship to Jesus, when it comes to your faith in Jesus, there is no such thing as neutrality. Now, when World War II came around, Sweden and Switzerland declared neutrality. They didn't want to have anything to do with that war. When it comes to your faith in Jesus, Jesus says, you are either with me or you are against me. There is no middle ground. You can put a car into neutral. It will drive neither forward nor back. You can put a boat motor into neutral. Boat won't go anywhere. And you can be completely neutral if you want to, as far as your preference for who wins the next World Series. But when it comes to Jesus and your faith in him and your relationship with him, you cannot be neutral. You are either with him or you are against him. You are either gathering or you are scattering. There is no middle ground. And this truth that there is no middle ground with Jesus is a warning to those who do not take their Christianity seriously or those who think it is an easy thing to be a Christian or those who think that they can toy with sin and indulge in the pleasures of this world that are against God's will, because after all, God will forgive. To all those who think in this way, Jesus issues this warning. You are either with me or against me. You cannot stand in the middle. He who does not gather with me scatters. And there's a second part to the warning. When an evil spirit goes out of a man, it goes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. The message is the same as before. You can't remain in neutral. It is not enough that you have chased Satan out of your heart. It is not enough that you avoid the alluring temptations that the world offers. It's not enough that you forsake your over-drinking, your use of pornography, your excessive gambling. It's not enough that you've emptied your life of filthy language and stealing and fornication you may think that you have gotten rid of all of the evil that is possible to get rid of in your life and that you have slept, swept it completely free of sin. You're wrong. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And if you think that your heart is pure, if you do not have Christ... It will not be long before it is once again filled with evil. You can sweep it out as often as you want without Christ. There's no hope. You can't 
remain in neutral. Just as nature abhors a vacuum, so the human heart cannot endure one either. There is no middle ground. Jesus has bound the strong man. But you cannot throw the strong man out and leave your heart empty. The stronger man must come in and live there and make his home there. Then you will be safe. And how does this happen? The last words of our text provide the answer. A woman who had been listening to everything that Jesus said uh, shouted out, Blessed is the womb that you bore, that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus replied, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. How does the strong man protect you from the stronger man? Through his word. Blessed is he who hears the word of God and keeps it. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Through his word, Jesus brings us to faith as he did little Ian this morning. And you all were privileged to watch it. He brought that little boy to faith through the powerful word of his baptism. And now, those of us who have been brought to faith through his word are kept in that faith. His word strengthens us with the promise of his help. His word encourages us with the promise of our salvation. His word comforts us with the promise of his constant presence. His word frees us with the message of forgiveness. And his word gives us joy with the promise of the resurrection from the dead and life everlasting for all who trust in Christ. The Greek word translated here, blessed is he who hears the word of God and keep it, is the word makarioi. It can also mean happy. Happy are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yes, they are happy. For Jesus, the Son of God himself, is their brother. And he is the stronger man. In fact, he is the strongest man, for this man is God himself, and he is your Savior who saves you from everything that can harm you. In his name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. 
On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.